This is the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, a podcast brought to you by two physical therapists devoted to helping physical therapists and other healthcare providers become better educators to patients, students, the community, and each other by interviewing prominent and passionate people within the realms of healthcare and education. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast is intended literally for educational and entertainment purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based on only one source, and therefore, this podcast should not be used as personal medical advice. While care has been taken to ensure accuracy, occasionally, mistakes and factual errors can be present, as we are only human. This is our journey on the road to becoming better educators, so get ready with your pen and paper as class is about to begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Brandon Pone. We're bringing our guest to you today all the way from across the pond, as they say, hailing from sunny Hartlepool, England, the one and only Paul Goff. Paul Goff is a small business icon winner of the Best in Class Infusionsoft Award for his lead nurture marketing systems. He's a published author, multi-clinic owner, former professional soccer physical therapist, weekly newspaper columnist, host of Physical Therapy Business School podcast, and a leading provider of marketing information to small and independent PT clinics in the U.S. Uh, Paul, I realize we kept your bio relatively short, but uh, is there anything else you'd like our audience to know about you that we didn't mention in the bio? Uh, other than being the dad of two beautiful boys, I think that's uh, that's about it. You've covered everything. Now you you got me down to a T. So thank you for that. Well, there you go. Nice and and Paul. Now you're currently educating healthcare providers and others, for that matter, on some pretty eye-opening stuff to them, specifically regarding business. And but before we dive into that, do you think you could tell our audience kind of about what you were like as a student throughout high school, university, and physio school? Like, were you a straight A student, or did you like to rock the boat a little? <laughs> All right, this was an interesting question. So what was I like? Um, I certainly wasn't a straight A student and I would preface it with, I was the type who had to work very hard. Um, I wasn't naturally gifted or clever or, you know, kind of born with any form of intelligence and it, it meant, well, you know, it, it's certainly not a higher level of it. So I had to work hard and anything that I did uh, was came with a lot of study. So my sister was very clever and is very clever. My brother was very clever, is very clever. And they would be the type that could kind of, you know, do a little bit of prep for an exam and, and sail through it. Whereas I was the, um, I had to lock myself in a room and just study and study and study to get what I needed. So I, I wasn't naturally um, you know, straight A's. I did get a lot of A's and stuff, you know, in, in exams or back in Britain, but it was it was a lot of work. But I was always, the fun side of me was, um, and, and still is, I'm very uh, dedicated to what I do, but I do have a lot of fun. And if, if you know, you people get to know me, I'm kind of all in when I'm all in, but I'm all out when I'm all out. And, and um, I was very much like that as a student. I realized early doors that uh, I didn't really have the uh, patience, if you like, to see through a two-year um, class or course that I was taking and realized that 80% of what I was going to be taught was a load of crap. And if I just studied at the back end of it, I'd be all right. And when I went to university, um, I was the classic two or three, four nights a week. I was in the nightclubs and you know getting in at threes and fours in the mornings, back up at eight, often late for first lessons. Um, I wasn't the top rating student, that's for sure. But I knew that 
um, when it, when the time came and the crunch came, I would be dedicated enough to, to kind of do whatever it took to um, get the to get the grades, even if it meant being up at two three in the morning to you know to do what I needed to do. And um, that was often the case because I was always the last one in the library and the books were always gone, so I had to wait till everybody else finished and. I would hand them to me through the night and I'd have to get them back to them at five in the morning. So I could tell you a lot of stories about my, uh, you know, my kind of exams and dissertations of just getting through in time. So, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't uh, naturally gifted or clever, but I realized that I, I knew that. And I, I also knew I liked to have a lot of fun. And that meant that I had to give a lot when it when it came to um, exams and dissertation time. Yeah. So, Paul, you use a number of different methods and and modes of delivery as far as your education on uh to healthcare clinicians um you know all of it basically revolving around these different aspects of successful business you know could you tell us where you got a lot of your business knowledge from as far as like books classes courses or or any you know any of these things that you've attended um and how you've come to create this neatly packaged course yeah, um, I would say it's a compound effect of, of everything from, as you say, books to podcasts more recently. Um, but initially it was books and it was seminars. I'm a huge seminar fan. Uh, right now I'm in Cleveland at a four-day marketing event that I'm a guest at. So I, I'm just a perennial, obsessive, addictive. Um, nothing excites me as much as just being in a room and learning about business. And when when you have that drug, if you like, or that um, you know that feeling that you get, at the anticipation of what you're about to learn, it becomes very easy to jump on a flight like I've done over the last few years to be in big events here in America and um, Canada and London and wherever else that I've been. So I, I've been a learner from events. I find that my brain is stimulated very uh, much more easily and I'm open to information coming to me when I'm in an event. I'm in a seminar with other like-minded business owners. One of the things I've always tried to do is get around the events uh, because of the type of people that are there um, and bizarrely, I'm here in Cleveland today and met two or three guys from Britain who flew over. Uh, that it's took us both traveling, you know, 5,000 miles to get to an event to meet each other um, that we probably wouldn't have bumped into each other in the UK because it just, you know, when you're having to make these types of commitments to come over here and go through immigration and get on flights and the expense that you go through, you, you're with a different type of person. So the people that I meet in the conversations that I have. Um, I think have been responsible for the uh, learning that um, if I could dig deeper on it, it, it's not just about being in the event or it's not just about reading a book. It's about how it stimulates the thought process and it allows your brain to start to focus in on opportunity that is there that you just don't know right now. And I, and I know that sounds a little a little strange, but that is what has happened for me. I've often started to read books or be in events listen to podcasts and the topic that they're speaking to me about isn't necessarily the, the light bulb moment that I'm getting. It's because I'm aware and I'm open and I'm thinking and my brain's relaxed that I start to see things completely differently. So it's a combination of everything. And I've just over the last five years, 10 years, spent every penny and every waking hour learning about business and marketing. And, and now I'm able to pass it on very confidently. Yeah, Paul, you talk about uh, a lot of these events and these seminars. Um, I, I, I just wonder, for somebody interested in maybe speaking at one of these eventually, is that something that um, they reach out to you? Do you reach out to them? How does that work? Ideally, they reach out to you. Now, I, I've never reached out to them and said, can I can I do this? And I think it's a, 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 a little mistake to try and do that because it puts yourself in a situation of, uh, I mean, to, don't get me wrong, to start with it, it's important just to get your first few seminars. But 
the way that I get my invites to speak at events is through the podcast and is through my video show. And people are watching me all over the world because of um, obviously that that platform and those media that they can they can tell that you know what you're talking about and they want you to come and speak. They know you've got an audience that if you come and you're promoted and you'll you know you do a, a mention on your email list that you're speaking in Cleveland and all of a sudden 100 people buy a ticket, then you become an asset to them and then they're happy to pay you for that because you bring not only the knowledge, but you bring the, the, the attention. And that is what is important. So I think if anybody's listening, if, if that's the question of how do you become how do you become a speaker, uh, you build an audience first that people want to watch you and listen to your podcasts and watch your video shows. And inevitably, people start to, to see you who are influential, who are putting on events, who need good people to you know talk about certain things at these events. And all of a sudden, you get the email that says, hey, I've been listening to your podcast. Is there any chance you could come and speak at my event? You know, he's the he's the deal type of thing. So it's reversing the funnel rather than you always reaching out to them. Although I do think that's important at the beginning. Uh, I think if you build a big enough audience, you, you, you'll get them coming to you. Sure, Paul. And that makes actually a lot of sense, you know, being able to get your content and your brand out enough that enough people seem to recognize it. Then they ask you to kind of come at one of those more of events and and kind of my question to you is with you, with your experience with doing many presentations and stuff, um, what are some of the biggest strategies that you found to be most effective to ha- really implement a really successful presentation to your audience? Less, less is more. So less on slides is, um, is, is very important um, so that it doesn't turn into a, uh, a PowerPoint presentation. So if, if anybody's ever seen any of my keynotes, they often comment that there's nothing on the slides. It's literally one one phrase. It'll be like six six words together on a slide, on 10 slides, and that's it. And I really only do that to, to pacify the people who expect a, um, who expect some form of slides, you know, to keep it as a presentation. So, it, it, and that really separates the uh, people who truly stunningly understand what they're speaking about and can do it naturally from the heart and from the head versus people who are trying to um or who don't necessarily understand the subject and have to be prompted by their own slides so i would say go deep on one particular topic and the uh the more that you know about the thing that you're speaking on uh, the less that you'll need the powerpoints and the more natural and more fluid your presentation will be the more effective it will be and the more impact you'll have and then you know more people will will want to hire you and i would always say do a presentation that solves a problem of the people that are are in the audience and the more specific that you can get it um, almost alienate the room then the more impact that you will have and, and that's something that i've always tried to do i i often go into a presentation and basically say i know you know if there's 100 people in the room i know 70 or 80 of you are not ready for this yet but the other 20 you're going to love it and and that you know that gets their kind of audience attention heightened very very quickly so that would be my my tip, relax, have a lot of fun with it, um, and the more conversational and the more at ease that you are, the more at ease the audience is and the more that they'll interpret what you're saying and much more likely to take action on it. Yeah, Paul, and I loved it, SSPT Live in Clearwater Beach, I loved your uh, spiel of saying, you know, I want you guys to just get your one thing and then get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's true. It's true. It's unfortunately there is a mindset of more and more and more and more, and it's it's not. It's I've come for one thing. What was it? You know, I think that was the conversation I had with that audience that day, which was, um, what? How would you know that this was a successful event? Much of what I was teaching was around the quality of questions. So I kind of reversed that and said, um, you know, we don't we don't ask very good questions as humans. Uh, we're just not trained to do that. 
And in the room that day, I asked, you know, how would you know if this was a successful event? How would you know if it was worth the flight to, to Tampa Bay? And, you know, people are perplexed. And it's like, well, once you've got the one or two things that you're looking for, get out. Like, just go home and go do it. Like, go put it on, go put it in play and then come back to another event next month. And that's it. If you did that 12 times, you're 12 steps ahead rather than 75 ideas. You've got 12 things done and give me those 12 things any day of the week. Yeah, and that seems to make a lot of sense. And, you know, with Paul, that you, with you doing a lot of different teaching through different platforms from online webinars, courses, and mastermind courses, I'm curious, what have you found to be some of the differences between teaching through these different methods for you as an instructor, between, you know, teaching in an online webinar format and courses and in your mastermind courses? Yeah, good. To me, nothing. Nothing, because the media is just a it's just a place to amplify my knowledge. It really doesn't affect me at all. It's most important for the person that you are teaching it through. So somebody asked me this recently. I just announced a um, an event in San Diego, a two day boot camp on selling, and it was all about selling and you know uh, conversions and strategies that you've got to go through and how you handle price objections. And somebody reached out to me who watches all my stuff and said, um, "Why did you do that? Why did you do that in a room? Because you can get less people in there." than you could, for example, online. So I think I can get like 40 or 50 in this room in San Diego and we'll, we'll easily fill it. But I could have done 100 people online. And he, he said, well, why did you do that? Because you limited yourself. I said, well, not really, because the majority of the people who bought wouldn't have bought a six-week class. They want community. They want face-to-face, much like I do. I learn better in seminars and I'm much more likely to be um, learning, get a better impact from my investment knowing that I can travel to a seminar and get it quickly delivered within 48 hours. If this event that I'm at right now is delivered over a full day, you know, the 12, 16 sessions delivered over 16 weeks, it's like, well, that's a long time. But some to me, because I'm, I'm like, well, I want it. Just give it to me. I, you know, I want to come and get the impact as quickly as possible and I'm off. Whereas some people are like, well, I don't want to make the commitment. Um, I don't want to leave my family for four days and you know, I, I can't get out of work. So I'm happy to do a one-week online class for the next 16 weeks to get the impact. And that's cool. So really what it goes back to is understanding your audience that people buy, um, sorry, people learn in different uh, ways. Some people like the seminar. Some people like uh, the mastermind. Some people like the big 200 people, you know, Greg Todd style events, which are epic and fun and huge and energy. And some people, they couldn't think of anything worse than that type of event. They want a boring guy to stand at the front of the room and just teach them how to do a Facebook ad. And that's fine. And, and as um, as teachers, which we are, we have to understand that, that not all, much like all patients are not created equal. Not everybody will book an appointment just because they've made an inquiry and not everybody calls a PT at the first sign of back pain. Some will wait years, some will wait weeks, some are confident enough to do it tomorrow. The same exists with students. And our jobs as teachers is to recognize that, that people will learn in different ways and are happy with different platforms. Some are visual, some are, uh, like to hear the audio, some people need to see a PowerPoint, some people love podcasts. I like books more than podcasts. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. That's just my style. So it's more important for the person listening to this to understand that it's not about what they prefer. It's you really need to be comfortable with all of the media. It's the understanding that the individual at the other end, the, the one that you're serving and trying to help, they need different options to learn from you through different media. So I hope that answers the question. No, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with that, Paul. And, you know, kind of from your perspective as being more of an educator, are, are you starting to become aware um, self-aware, excuse me, of some of your teaching styles and kind of what have you learned from besides what you've men just mentioned before about be successful education? 
successful education, they need to see it in you. And that's that's the big thing that I found. It gives you an advantage that if the thing that you're teaching on, the product, or better said, if you're a byproduct of the product, if you're a byproduct of the product, that allows you um, a significant advantage when it comes to being a teacher. Because um, most of the block, if you like, to learning actually comes from, will this work for me? And does this work? So as they sit there, much like a patient, a patient, yeah, they're there. And because they're being referred by a doctor, they come with a certain level of confidence. But but anybody who comes to you via things like direct access or word of mouth type you know referrals, those guys or girls are not necessarily as confident. And um, when it comes to teaching, it helps if you're a byproduct of the thing that you're actually teaching, which has helped me significantly because I only teach what I've learned and done myself. So I will not talk about or step into the lane of anything other than what I've absolutely smashed and done at my own clinic and learned over the last however many years. So that's important to understand. Um, other things, your teaching style is important, um, whether you're comfortable, whether you're uh, easily or how quickly you are to come up with the answers for people obviously is very important, whether you're able to give an answer or help somebody extract the answer. There's a difference between teaching for development and teaching for um, tactics. So in my world as a business coach, a lot of people will ask me tactical questions where they will say, well, Paul, I had this problem. How do I do that? Or how, how, what do I say when somebody doesn't want to book an appointment? Now, that would be me teaching tactically. I much prefer to teach strategically where I teach the higher level, bigger, broader understanding of the subject so that they can deal with it and recognize it at any time further down the line. So as an understanding of a business coach or a coach that do you coach the topic or do you coach the person, which is important. Coaching the person is, um, here, let me show you that technique coaching the uh, strategy, if you like, or the um, around the topic is where we talk around all of the different things that could potentially affect the ankle um, and allow the person, him or herself, to come up with the conclusion as to the fact that it's a ATFL sprain and it needs grade four frictions or mobilizations or whatever. So learning the different styles of teaching is important as well for anybody who's going to go into that and understanding that at what level the person is that you're teaching um, and it's much more likely that in the early phase of helping somebody, they're going to want very tactical advice. But your goal is to get them out of the tactics as quick as possible, which is the just tell me to the now work on me and teach me and help me understand this critically so that I can come up with my own conclusions as to what that answer was. Yeah, Paul, and speaking of uh, the topics, what are some of the major business strategies that healthcare practices are not implementing currently? And do you think some of these strategies are powerful enough to work for other types of business, let's say like a CEU course or even graduate schools trying to attract new students? Yeah, business is business. F Scott, like that's the, the biggest thing, my biggest bugbear, and, and it, it, it almost makes me laugh where people in healthcare are, my business is different. Oh, this is different. I'm a cash PT. I'm different. I'm an in-network business. I'm different. Uh, I live in Wichita. It's different. I live in Kansas. Uh, sorry, I live in uh, Scottsdale. It's it's different. I live in Clearwater. It's different. It is human beings are human beings, and they react in a certain way to um, how we make decisions is essentially the same, which is all that is about in business, is how do you help somebody make a good decision? Sure, the nuances will change slightly, town to town, state to state. New York are probably going to make a quicker decision than than Raleigh, North Carolina. But how we make that decision and the um, you know the way that we arrive at the decision is exactly the same. So, you know, does it make any difference for schools trying to attract um, individuals? No. 
you know, talk to them about the benefits, what life will look like, um, why their course is different, et cetera, et cetera. CEU type, you know, people putting out online. I work with two clinical educators, um, Greg Schiebel and a guy in Britain called David O'Sullivan. Both of them doing fabulously well with the exact same strategies that I've taught business owners who run physio businesses. It's about identification of who your audience is, who do you want, what problem have they got, and then how can we help them um, to start to make steps towards us to consider to consider buying from us or to you know to enroll them from us. So the mechanics and the structure of business and marketing ain't no difference. It's the content which changes slightly, um, but that's really easy once you understand who that person is anyway. So nothing, nothing is any different. And what am I seeing um, that people are not using? Um, generally, nobody's using anything. That's you know that's the, you're seeing an emergence of. You know, your audience and Greg's and mine's and, and Aaron's and Jared's, they're at the forefront of the movement now, but there is still a 97% of the profession who have just buried their head thinking it's all about doctors and it's all about past patient referrals and sending newsletters and all that stuff. And yet those same individuals are buying things all day through Facebook, interacting with businesses on Instagram, using Google AdWords to get, you know, to get the best website, having a direct response website with um, information that's getting given to them for them to go through a nature sequence for the business to um, give them information before they start to do business with them. This is happening to the business owner in our profession, but they're not always keen to make it work for them. And that to me is the height of, of um, it's a lack of self-awareness if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. Um, it's borderline ignorance where you think that it's all right to happen to you, but you're not prepared to do it for your customers. Um, and it severely limits what, what success business owners can have. Yeah. So absolutely. And Paul with business, of course, and these strategies, you know, not being as popular as they probably should be, you know, in your opinion, why don't you think physio schools are teaching any of this stuff? And do you think they should? No, I don't. Um, I don't think that they should is my brutal question. It's not their. Um, it's not their. Uh, it's not their lane. They, if they were going to do it, it would be an optional. Okay, for that, you know, for the for the final year, if you wanted to stay, we'll teach you how to run a business. But I honestly don't think so. And the reason is, and this is what we have to be aware of, is that not everybody wants to run a business. Nine, nine out of ten of your colleagues at school will never run a business. They might flirt with the idea of it, but they do not want to. They cannot do it. They did, will not take the risks. They cannot have uh, the pressure, the stress that comes with it. And eight to nine out of ten people in society want um, want safety. Want a nine-to-five job as much as they bemoan that. That's what they want. Their actions tell us that. What's the number of small businesses in the U.S.? Is it? Uh, I think it's twenty-five to thirty million uh, self-employed businesses. It's like ten percent in Britain. Three percent. So on average, one in ten in your class wants to run a business. Um, less than that in my class. You know, three out of one hundred wants to run a business in my physio class. So physio school can't put on business advice for that type of number. Now, even if they did, and this is what I've said in the past, what sort of advice are you going to get anywhere? Because it ain't going to be from somebody who runs a business. You would never be able to pay me enough. You'd have to hope and pray that I love you know, the profession and I want to give back. Now, I, I would I do it? Possibly. Could I make a long-term play commitment to be in a classroom in Tampa Bay in a PT school every Tuesday between three and five to continue to teach that same class for 12 months? Absolutely not. If you rang me and said, Paul, can you come and do a, a day and teach, you know, the principles of running a business? All in. I, I wouldn't even want any money for it. I would happily do it. But I'm not going to be able to give you my commitment to do that every week because I've got a business to run. I've got three businesses to run, in fact. So you'd never be able to pay somebody enough who actually knows how to run a business anyway. And I, I mean that 
very respectfully, that's the that's the irony. The, the, the whole concept is that you're never going to be given good business advice because it's never going to be given to you by people who've run businesses. If they were good at running businesses, they wouldn't be a lecturer because the return that you can get for running a business is probably 10 times more than being a lecturer. So the economics will never stack up. And I don't believe that, that they should be given business advice anywhere because um, it isn't for everybody in that audience. And it allows you to, um, they should bring your awareness to it that if you want to be successful in business, you will need new skills. Um, I said to somebody recently, I, I joked about how, imagine going to Harvard and getting a five-year MBA in business and then the next day thinking that you could diagnose an ankle sprain without any physiotherapy background, right? So you've gone to a Harvard and you've gone and done your five-year MBA and you come out and you know everything about running a business. And then you start to think that you can diagnose people's ACL problems and hamstring problems. It isn't going to be long before you're A, in prison, or B, you've got an absolute mess and a, loss, a lawsuit on your hands. Yep. Now, unfortunately, what's going on is physios are doing their um, five-year degree and coming out thinking that they can run a business, that you you don't need the skills, much like you need the diagnostic skills and the treatment plan progression skills and the people skills and communication, et cetera, as a physio. You need skills as a business owner. You have to learn them. Anybody attempting to run a business without getting business knowledge and skills is akin to getting a business degree first and then thinking, oh, I'll just just set up shop and I'll, I'll put a sign above the door and I'll start treating people's ankles. You wouldn't do it. Society wouldn't let you do it. And you sh- nobody should be doing it in any form of business. But unfortunately, that's what most people do. Yeah, it doesn't work e- either way. you got to have both. Um, Paul, I'd like for you to close your eyes for a minute and picture in your mind some of the greatest educators that you've had the pleasure to learn from. What made them truly great educators to you? Passion, depth of knowledge, storytelling, the ability to um, speak to me in a way that I can understand. And instead of spending two hours talking about a topic, spending 30 minutes talking about the same topic, but in a way that I can actually take action upon. And that to me is the the definition of an expert. It isn't somebody who's loaded with knowledge because there's everybody on earth now has got knowledge. It's how well can you communicate that to the person who has the problem? How well can you motivate them to take action on it, which is huge. It's not just giving them the information. Um, So as I look back at my mentors, um, they've always been able to give me the information very quickly that I need, dissect what my problem is or help me to understand what my problem is. Um, And are generally very passionate about the thing that they're doing, not just happy to be there, like ecstatic to be doing what they're doing um, and living their life. And, and they've ne- nearly always come from, they are, do- they are still doing the thing that they are teaching me on. And I think that that's, that's super important. So it's a lot of uh, compassion, empathy. Uh, there are a couple, ahead, a couple of steps ahead of you in terms of the learning journey. Um, and they know what mistakes that you're going to go through. And dare I say, it, even what you're thinking right now and are able to shortcut the information instead of two hour on the topic, it's 25 to 30 minutes because they can you know, rule out most of the stuff that they would have taught you and get straight to the point of the pain yeah, point that you've true. actually got. Yeah, true. And Paul, I'm going to go back a little bit to what we were talking about before to the topic of business and PT education. And you've kind of touched on this before in your episodes, but I thought it was a very important, uh, very important point to bring up is that, you know, we're teaching students as much overall. Like when I was in school, I didn't realize, I kind of got the impression that patients were just lined up waiting to come and see you. And... 
in the real world, it's way more complex than that, especially with the financial changes that are going on and, you know, people aren't sure about what we do and stuff. And I feel like to me, that's been a big lesson that I've had to learn the hard way through experience too. And I think that implementing that in, of course, in some regard would be effective to at least let students know, hey, it's it's more than this. And here's what you need to do after school to learn this aspect more. So I, I'm just curious to think what you think on that. Yeah, they should. They, what they should be doing is helping you understand how people make decisions. That always, always is vital. That that should be taught in year one. That you might think that just because they've got pain, that they will come and see you. Nothing could be further from the truth. That people cannot make decisions, even if they are in pain. It does not mean that they are coming to your clinic. It does not mean that they are going to book 10 appointments. Even if you can lay it on the table with absolute certainty that this ankle problem that they've got is going to need this, 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 and this, doesn't mean that they're all in. It does not mean that they'll do it. In, in, um, instead of spending a 30-year career frustrated trying to fight with people and getting them on the schedules and scratching your head when you get drop-offs and you know knowing exactly how to help somebody, but they just won't commit to it. If you were taught all this at the beginning, it would make business and life a lot easier. And, and if they did give you some kind of influence and persuasion-type strategies first, rather than, dare I say it, arrogantly, you know, kind of ignorantly burying our heads in the sands to think that because we're healthcare professionals, we're really important and everybody will and must recognize how wonderful we are and therefore will want to pay the bill. It's ridiculous. Even doctors, it's, they're so lost up their asses, you know, they, they get so lost with their own qualifications and their own importance that they forget that they have to be better at what they're doing in terms of communicating. And if they did, it's nothing to do with their knowledge bank. It's the way that they communicate what they know as to whether or not an individual will take action on the indiv on the information that they've been given. Perception plus emotion equals logic. What somebody's perception of you is changes their emotion. And if their emotion is negative, then they won't listen to the logic that you've got. And unfortunately, you look at most doctors, and it's huge in Britain. Most doctors are not very, not not very good communicators. They don't have time for you. Now, sure, they care, and I'm not I'm not questioning for one second that they don't. What I'm saying is that the individual's perception often is that this person hasn't got time for me. The system stacked against the doctors, so that they have to be very quick. Often, don't even look at you when you walk through the door. So the person's perception is already negative, which means their emotion is going to be negative. Therefore, they're not listening to a word that the doctor says when it comes to the actual prescription and the logic. And the here's what you need to do. They leave the doctor's office with the same perception confirmed and the outcome confirmed that the doctor doesn't have time for you anymore. Therefore, he didn't do a thorough diagnosis. Therefore, the pills or the advice that he's just given me are a waste of time. Therefore, I won't do anything. And that is the story of healthcare right now in, in Britain and very much similar to what I'm, you know, what I'm seeing here where it's getting tighter and tighter and numbers are getting squeezed and the perception of PT will be, well, there's no point going there because they just stick you on a bike in the corner of a room with 25 other people and, you know, it's a different person and it's nobody really takes the time to get to know me because they haven't got the business model to be able to factor in the time because the numbers and the margins are so tight. Patients are going to leave or arrive with perceptions that are negative. They will find the experience that they're expecting, which is negative. The logic will be irrelevant with a capital I if this profession doesn't face up to that very soon. Yeah, for sure. You're making a couple of good points in there, Paul, and I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I'm going to put a hypothetical, hypothetical situation here, man. Now, if you could create a DPT program with no rules and the sky's the limit, what would your ideal program look like? <laughs> okay. Five year, so it's a five-year conference, a five-year uh, program, four years of how to communicate, and one year of how to actually be a physio. 80-20. I would 80-20 the whole process. 
80% of it would be teaching you how to make use of the knowledge, the 20% that will teach you and go out into the world. And instead of giving you more, 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 give you less, 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 and tell you and encourage you to stay in the lane very quickly as to what you want to be. One skill, two skills, or you know whatever, be, be a foot person, be a knee person, be an ankle person or whatever it is, and be world-class at that one thing. I'm speaking very hypothetically and you know people are going to be like, well, you need to know all the rest of it. Yes, but it's not as in-depth as, as you would if you just stayed in there. You know, you're a shoulder person. Yeah, you need to know posture and neck and you know whatever's going on. But you don't need to know about foots and knees and various other things. Just stay in your lane. Get very, very good at one thing, one specific topic, one particular area, and then spend the other four years actually learning how to communicate what that means to people um, and helping them make best use of that one amazing skill that you've got. Sure. And and Paul, you kind of touched on some of this earlier in some of the techniques here, but what do you feel are some of your favorite and most effective educational techniques that you utilize when teaching a mastermind course? Depending upon the, um, again, it's always what am I, what am I teaching and what, what's the outcome here? I like the uh, workbook style planning documents where people are forced to think um, retrospectively and then future pace where they come to their own conclusion as to what their opportunities are within their business, discuss with a partner, what's your opportunities. And even if the other individual isn't giving you exact opportunities, what often happens is when you get into a situation that you start to talk about good things, your own brain comes up with answers. So rather than a teacher at the front of the room constantly, you know, kind of getting off, if you like, on the knowledge that he or she's got and talking about sales or marketing for 59 minutes it's much better to talk for 20 minutes and then let the room um, start to work together and come up with their own answers and then the teacher fill in the blanks further down the line so when i did um, i did a degree a postgrad uh, certification in teaching back in britain uh, after i'd finished my physio degree and one of the things that i always got um, commented on was my teaching style was very relaxed it was very you know almost like a big brother was just giving you some advice and i was very much in favor of just filling in the blanks so I wouldn't go into a room when I was teaching with a crap load of PowerPoints. It was, okay, let's get going with what you currently know about this topic and I'll fill in the blanks. And that was it. And and most of it was they would uh, almost be teaching me about what they know and I would just drop in what they didn't know. So I spend less time talking than them and I believe that that's the sign of a very good teacher. Yeah, that's a great point, Paul. I, I've been working on my dissertation for my educational doctorate over the last couple months and you know, I, I think more than anything, I, the one thing I found from my teaching courses is really we're just there to be facilitators more than anything. I mean, you know, finding that level that they're at and then just guiding them toward the next level. Um, so, yeah, you you make a lot of great points there. Yeah. Paul, we'd like to finish our show by asking all of our guests this final question. If you could change one aspect of healthcare education, physiotherapy or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? The emphasis on communication, the emphasis on um, understanding how people will perceive the product, which is PT, how people will um, be able to recognize when somebody truly isn't understanding the process that they're going through and therefore are less likely to to see it through and get the outcome that they want. I would be going into healthcare um, universities. Year one would be all about human beings. You cannot just teach me about the ankle and the knee and the back and the shoulder and the neck and the veins and valves and whatever else you're going to teach me as a healthcare practitioner. You have to help me understand 
who that individual in at the most basic fundamental level, which is three parts of the brain and four chemicals, and understand how words cause certain chemicals, certain chemicals call, cause certain actions, and certain actions lead to the outcomes that we want. It's We're just missing a point. We're missing the most important fundamental element of dealing with human beings. It's like giving me an iMac and telling me to go fix it without any instructions on how it actually works and what I want it to do. It's like I just couldn't do it. I truly, For me to be able to fix an iMac, I'd have to understand how the operating system works. Even if the keyboard had a um, letter missing or the screen was whatever, and it's blatantly obvious where the problem is. But if I don't understand what's going on behind that computer and how what I'm about to do will affect it at the core level, at the operating level, I'm very unlikely to get the outcome that I want. And therefore, I'm getting set up for A, frustration as a practitioner, and B, the patient's getting set up for disappointment because they don't feel as though we truly understand them as as individuals. My transformation, if you like, would be in year one. It would be, and, and this is why they won't do it, because it would literally be this. I'm about to teach you how to speak and communicate to individuals. And I'm about to teach you how these individuals make decisions. Therefore, when we get to the point of teaching you how to be good at diagnosis, etc., it'll all start to make sense and you will help these people even more. But if I said to it, and I've actually said it, I've joked about it. If I put my courses out that said, I'll teach you how to communicate, nobody would get anywhere near me. And yet at the other end, people are like, Paul, you've completely changed the way that I communicate with people. You've completely changed the way that I see people. Paul, you've completely um, changed my view on you know, why I was getting that obstacle and why patients would say that to me. It's like, well, I just taught you how to communicate. Yeah, it's dressed up as marketing. That's all marketing is, communication. But if I said that, and I guarantee if you, if I lined up a million PTs all around the world and said, uh, here, I'll teach you how to communicate, they'd all laugh at me and say, they'd actually call me arrogant by going, you arrogant git, thinking that we don't know how to communicate. And I'm telling you now, if you line me in a room with every PT on earth, I could tell you, unless you've studied it, unless you've studied communication, empathy, and that kind of decision-making process that individuals make, you'll know nothing about it. You, you will go through 25 to 30 years of your life always wondering why you can't connect with a certain patient, always wondering why when you say something, a patient says something back to you that you know they didn't quite connect with or understand. And you think it's them and it's not you and your skills are better. And if I get my skills better, then I'm going to be all right. And really, it was nothing to do with the skills. You had enough skills in year one of coming out of PT school to be effective for the rest of your career. If you learn to market and speak to those individuals with those specific problems, that's what I would change. Never will because it's not sexy. It's not, you know, you're not going to pay 250 grand in college fees to go and learn how to communicate. Nobody's ever going to face up to that. But unfortunately, that is what is needed. I can tell I'm blue in the face. Whether I've worked with Canadian PTs, US, Australian, European, Swedish, British, Scottish, Irish, Every single one of them, when they come to me, has the same problem, that they do not know how to communicate properly at a level that they can truly influence individuals to make decisions and enjoy the process. They can do it to some degree, but nowhere near at the level that they need to be able to, to certainly be involved in in running businesses and and generally affecting um, more people's uh, lives for the better. Gotcha. No, that's a good point, Paul. And, you know, for our audience or for therapists out there that perhaps want to get better at that, especially the communication, the how the people make decisions and the psychology aspect, are there any books that you would recommend to that individual to kind of help them get them up to speed? Yes, there's a book called Predictably Irrational by Dan Airely. It is one of the best books that I've ever um, had the pleasure of reading and it. You will laugh all the way through. And it's my favorite saying in my, in my coaching programs, Predictably Irrational. 
that clients come on to me and say, oh, patients did this and patients said this. I'm like, they're predictably irrational. Go read it. Go study it. We are emotional creatures. PTs are trained to be logical. We come out logical. And yet the world exists on emotion. That's why we clash. That's why patients don't always book appointments when we hammer them in the face with how obvious it is that they've got a back problem that needs treatment because we speak logically. We talk about research and numbers and data and facts. These people don't care. They just want what's in it. What's the outcome? What, what am I, what am I going to look like if I don't do this? So the book, Predictably Irrational, will talk to you about things that are happening to you in your life, which are crazily stupid once you realize what you're doing. Um, and it gives you a very good understanding of how predictably um, and yet irrational uh, we are. And, and an example of that is that, well, I like that physical therapist. He's really nice. Well, how long have you been going to see him? Well, like three years. Is there any improvement? No, but, you know, I, I really like this guy. And, and on the other hand, it's, oh, I don't really like that guy. So, well, he's, he's got he's got some good, you know, he's got the skills that you need to solve that back pain so you can sleep at night. Oh, no, I, there's just something about him. I, I, I just don't like him. But he's the best in town. Go, go see him. He's the, he's the best PT. He's the best doctor. He's the one, no, I, I just don't like the fact he's got a beard or he swears or, you know, or he just looks a little strange. I, I don't like him. So I'll just leave it for now. That, that's what we do as individuals, that in every walk of life, somebody is doing that today where we are making a ridiculously emotional decision to buy from somebody despite not getting the product uh, delivery that we wanted because we really like them emotionally or somebody who speaks logically to us all day and we cannot connect with emotionally, even when they have the problem solution, the solution to the problem, it's staring them as in the face. We will not buy it from them because we, oh, I just don't like them. There's something about them. But he knows how to solve your problem. No, 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 I, I, I don't like him. That's a predictably irrational human being, and it is happening every second, every minute, in every profession, in every industry, in every town, everywhere in this beautiful world. Go learn it, because it'll change your life when you understand it. For sure. And and Paul, thank you, first of all, for your time and for coming on the show today, man. And I've definitely learned a couple of new things from you, so I appreciate that, and I'm sure our audience has as well. And would you mind telling our listeners where they can find you online and on social media? Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Um, my personal website is paul at, um, sorry, my email, paul at paulgoff.com if anybody wants me. My website is paulgoff.com. My uh, business education, that's my brand site, my personal brand with my podcast and video show of when I teach my staff. I've got a lot of videos on there if people want to kind of watch a lot more of how I speak to my staff about these types of topics. Um, and my physio rooms website is paulgoffphysio.com and my PT business marketing education website is ptprofitacademy.com. My podcast is available on iTunes at the Physical Therapy Business School podcast and my social handle is at the Paul Goff. So uh, give me a give me a little shout on Facebook if uh, or Twitter or Instagram if anybody is uh, is listening and I'll I'll have some fun with you guys on uh, on Twitter and and I just want to say thank you to you both uh, F Scott particularly you've made my life I come over here from the US from obviously from the UK and I've kind of made my way over here on my own and to be embraced by the likes of yourself and how um, warm and welcome you've made me feel and my family it's extra special my kid um, F Scott I, I know you'll appreciate this my kid goes to bed on a night with a um with the cap that you sent me uh, the uh the cap that you sent me on his window ledge that he sees every single day and i've got um unbelievable um gratitude for for you and just how well you've you know made me feel comfortable and accepted and um in this beautiful country that you've got and i promise you my kids will get to know who you are as um as they grow up. So thank you. I cannot. Awesome. awesome. Glad, glad to hear. We're trying to teach them, you know, some real teams out there like the Mets. You know? 
None of this rubbish yeah. you're trying to put on your head, man. Well, these calves, I'm, you know, I'm warming to the calves, and you know, except they got beat. I think again last night, didn't they? Yeah, they yeah. certainly were. When I went to bed last night, it was in bed early, and they were getting beat when I, uh, when I stopped watching. So, but yeah, no, I mean it with uh, with every every breath. It's uh, the way that this country embraces people. You're the best in the world at that, and and um, there's a lot going on in the media and the news, and you know, crap's been said, and don't ever forget that this country is absolutely. I kiss the ground every time I land. You know, I have to travel however many thousands of miles to get access to the stuff that's going on here. And uh, it's an in- amazing country. And, and you guys have made me feel very, very welcome as an outsider um, being, you know, in your your uh, environment, if you like, and, and feel very, very at home, probably more so than I do back at home. So thank you for that. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Paul. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate you. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, Extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.